Good to go. Oh, I played the wrong one. Not supposed to play that. That's a copyright violation. Neither that one there. What am I doing, Todd? Let's get it right. Todd and Rob in the afternoon. Hey, afternoon delight. With Todd and Rob. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we are. <laughs> After I hit three three buttons wrong. <laughs> well, that was an interesting uh, introduction to the show. We, <laughs> we went through a few intro songs, didn't we? Yeah, we did. <laughs> and I was actually... And it was my fault because I was like looking at things earlier today and I didn't scroll back. But by the way, your audio should be good. That's good. Yeah, because there, I've just made it now a checklist item. Yes, we have a checklist here. <laughs> because what I think happened last episode was the recording is great. But the channel coming out to the TriCaster, one channel was down. And that happened before. So... You should be good, Rob. And we yeah, and, yeah, and that raises a a bigger question that I've been challenged on a little bit here over the last, um, I guess the the last week or so is around, you know, the recording process that uh, typically podcasters have gotten involved in. Right? Is is pretty complicated, right? Uh, I mean, you think about all the things, and maybe we talked about this a little bit on last week's episode too. But um, you know. Should we really have to continue struggling with things like this, uh, with audio levels just in general? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, with the with the technology that we have today, we should be able to just do it, and it comes out perfect every time. Well, right? the, you know, when it, when you have a cable or a potentiometer that is sticky, yeah, then yeah. no amount of AI <laughs> is going to fix that. You're still going to have if you've got a crispy pot or if you have a sticky you know you know this this gear's been running this whole stack has been running for 19 years so i know know. and that's (laughs) that's that's a potential weakness um i know i built a very elaborate studio when i first started doing um audio content and i was producing it for radio back then but it was very complicated you know i had the these different switchboards and so I could patch things to different different systems and things like that. So, I mean, things have definitely gotten better. You know, you think about the technology that we have now is um, definitely better than it used to be, right? I yeah. mean, it was very expensive in the past. And what we've seen is things have gotten inexpensive and, and easier. But it, it does feel like we're still living in the mid-2000s when it comes to some degree uh, with our how we do this stuff. Um, and, but the technology out there is, is enabling us, you know, I've, I've been working with a couple of companies, you know, like, uh, Numano and some of these that are doing things, um, in a way that is, you know, taking advantage of newer technology and new ways of thinking about audio production and, and spatial audio and th- these more advanced concepts. So, so anyway, that's just my point. I don't want to make a big deal about it, but it, it just seems like it'd be nice that we we didn't have to have like 15 different settings in our systems around audio. Right. Well, in, in all reality, yeah. there's not any settings <laughs> for me, you know, at this point, just, you know, we, I got it. 
Well, I mean, just this roadcaster, Todd, is, you know, I think we talked about this last time, you know, there, there is a, a, an abundance of settings. So if right, you can right, turn right. off everything, right. And not enable anything, but you've got, I've got a volume control on my roadcaster. Then I have a volume control in my computer. And then oftentimes there's a volume control on the other end, right. Yeah. You know, through your system. And then you've got layers and layers and layers of it, levels. If, that are, if, if I had to do this all over again, I wouldn't do what I have now. You know, yeah, and I think that's my bigger point yeah. is that there is a easier way of doing this. Because, and, yeah. because if you think about it, in order to have you on a monitor and bring you in on a screen with the current setup that I have, yeah, I bring you in on the Mac Mini on Zoom. So I've got the audio out of the Mac Mini going to the mixer with a mix minus so we can hear each other. Then it gets even more complicated. So I've got my own audio stream, compressor, equalizer, big bottom, all the stuff that's in the current road, but I will admit it doesn't do it as good as the, the $900 box that I have in my rack. Um, but you know, then there's an audio out that's going over to, you know, the machine that's doing the audio stream. There's an audio out that's going into the box that speeds the live stream. So that there's an audio going in there. Then there's a audio out that's going into the recorder because I don't record on the roadcaster. I only record on a, a Denon recorder in my rack. Then I have an IP-based video going to the other room that records the video along with the audio. Yeah, it's complicated, but you know that's the only way we could do it. Yeah. If I was going to do this again and I didn't have a TriCaster, eh, you know the problem is it's. I'm I'm invested in it just to make a switch now would be a downgrade in video quality for me. You talk to your StreamYard folks, tell them to get NDI adopted and that would make it a lot easier to use. But, uh, it's just, I mean, that's probably where it's going ultimately that, that that's part of this upgrade technology I'm talking about too. But you know, a lot of people aren't using NDI yet. Um, still well, it's the, today. it's the standard for most broadcast stuff now. It's, you know, for broadcast stuff. Right. Oh, yeah. And, right. It, and most cameras that are on the market today have NDI embedded. That's, you know, that's beyond a, you know, a webcam, you know, if you're just using a webcam, then of course, but, um, right. I mean, I mean, the HDMI protocol is still pretty significant. I mean, that's what I'm using to do this is HDMI yeah, to USB. Yeah. yeah. I think that's far more common now for online creators. Yeah. And NDI. So um, I've got, well, I, I don't know. There's a lot. Of, NDI makes it very, very simple. If you, you know, if you can afford the equipment to support NDI, that's, you know, that's yeah, and I think key. that's, the, that, that's the question. I mean, so you look at like an ATEM or something like that, that that's like a video switcher yeah, or kind yeah. of, kind of interface. That's, I think that's more common with online creators these days. Oh, they're, um, they're using the little, uh, uh, you know, they, yeah, they, they're just using HDMI. That's all they're using. So, you know, it's cheaper, the smaller version of HDMI as well as the, yeah, as well as USB, you know, that's how they're, they're communicating this, but I agree. I mean, NDI would be a lot better. Uh, actually, you know, what's funny about that is the former marketing director for Spreaker for many years when I was working there is now the head of marketing for NDI. So, uh, NDI is for NDI. They're, that's a company. There's no, no organization. It's actually NDI. So. Well, it's a, 
it's a company that's focused on making NDI products. Oh, okay, um, okay, okay. Yeah. And it's actually in the name NDI, so I don't know yeah. how they got away with that. It was originally <laughs> a new tech protocol, then new tech got bought by uh, Viacom or Via, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. anyway, it's my box has a different name now. It's not te- technically a TriCaster by new tech anymore, but anyway, it's, it's near here and there. Yeah. So I, I had a little, uh, I, I'm not caught up. I, you know, I basically, when I was out, I did really kind of tuned out a podcast for three weeks. So I'm mm-hmm. now catching up and, uh, I, I, I saw something that came across in our live and lit that I was like, what is this? And it says hundred sats from Sam Sethi. This is a test of YouTube video. Hundred sats from Sam Sethi. This is a test of YouTube video. Yeah, I heard, I saw that. And I was like, okay. So he's playing with getting, getting video embedded video into that platform. Well, he already right. has, he's got, it. I know. Yes. But right. here's the thing. He's like, Oh, you got an alternate closure tag. Well, that's only live when we're live for the, for the lit and live. And there's no, I'm not linking to an HLS. So basically the discussion happened on the, and I, again, I got to listen to it. They happened on the podcasting 2.0 show. They said, well, since YouTube is going to give podcasters, I don't even want to use that word. Since YouTube is going to give creators free video, then why don't we tap it, essentially, steal it, use their bandwidth, and allow videos that are produced on YouTube and PeerTube to be listened to or watched in a podcast app. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what the beep? And I'm, you know, I was just, I'm, I'm a little... I understand what they're doing, but I, I don't want to give ground. I, I, I think this is a mistake. You know, Blueberry and others have supported video and podcasting for years. And it's just like, okay, they're throwing up the flag and saying that podcast hosting companies can't support video for creators. So since the video is so hot right now, then we're going to backdoor and make a solution that makes it makes a video on a podcasting app that comes from YouTube. We're going to embed that. We're going to allow people to stream that, uh, that content. Well, you know, I, I, here's the thing that my argument is, and I know this is going to be debated. I can get on an airplane and I can watch a video podcast on Apple podcasts because the media resides on my mobile device. I don't have to have an internet connection. Anytime someone starts talking about needing an internet connection to consume media, you've defeated the the ultimate value of podcasting. And here I live in rural America. I drive three miles from this house. My cell signal goes to zero. And I have, I watch, I watch a video now on airplanes uh, all the time. Well, if you have the internet connectivity on the airplane, not all airlines allow you to stream video. Well, United increasingly, all the, all the airlines that I fly on, they, they do. United, so. Yeah, then you're lucky because United doesn't allow streaming video. Unless you, if you, maybe you're paying for it. I don't pay for internet. Well, I flew airplane. on Delta and I flew on Alaska just in the last week or so. And I was able to watch movies and watch uh, YouTube videos the whole time I was in flight. And, so. and did you pay for that Wi-Fi connection? 
Uh, I have my account through T-Mobile, and oh, T-Mobile, so T-Mobile has T-Mobile a, gets you. a deal with, with right, those right, airlines right, right. to provide Well, Wi-Fi on data. United, they don't allow video streaming even on with the T-Mobile deal. But I, It's probably per airline. Yeah, yeah. The, Different. So right. my my whole point is, and and Sam made the comment, oh, there's no podcast hosts that support podcasting 2.0 and video, and I'm like, uh, hello. Uh, last time I checked, our live video that we're doing right now is podcasting 2.0 compliant, and what I put up in my RSS feed is has all the podcasting 2.0 stuff in it as well. Uh, hello. Yeah, at least us is doing it. I, right. So, you know, there's a hack that you can use to basically play back video in another app. Now, I just wonder how long before, you know, if YouTube starts seeing this, will they put a kibosh to it? I, I don't, I don't know. think so. It's just an embedded experience, just like what they're enabling on a website. So. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. So... And then, you know, they're t- and again, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that that's the last thing I want to do is start encouraging podcasters to go over and set up YouTube channel. You know, it's, uh, come on, let's, let's, uh, let's use the medium for what it is. And maybe I'm just, you know, being grumpy here, but, um, I just, I think it's a bad, it's a bad presence. Then all of a sudden Podcaster, you say, oh, I'm going to put my audio strictly on. I'm just going to put my audio and video only on YouTube. I'm a podcaster. And then they get demonetized when they get deplatformed. You know, they don't realize what they're giving up. Well, I think that's that's the message that we have to communicate is, well, what's the advantages and disadvantages? And and what's, I mean, because people are going to do what they're going to do. No, Todd. it's true. I mean, I mean you're you have a particular view on it and you have a platform that supports that view. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that, that don't see it that way. So, well, I yeah, mean, but, but okay. They may not see it that way, but guess what? Yeah. They ain't getting crap for views. I'm, I'm, I'm actively looking for shows that are quote unquote breaking out. And it's not, it's a 200 shows or so that, you know, they may even have an Apple podcast listing okay, and, well, there's no guarantee of success, even on the podcast oh, side. Well, it's a I'll, lot easier. Let alone on the YouTube side. Well, so, it's, it's definitely you know, less competition. On the podcasting side? Oh, um, my God. Hell yeah. Yeah, well, that also speaks to the popularity of the platform, That's too. That's fine. You know, yeah. and granted, it is what it is. But at the yeah. same time, you know, people, I don't want people to become disillusioned and thinking that, oh, I'm going to have major success over here. And the majority of people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, 10,000 stats from Adam Curry. OP3 is open. Code and stats. I put on most shows up there for advertising. It's a real path forward. 10,000 stats from Adam Curry again. Wow. IEB is initial charge over revenue. What a scam. OP3 for the win. I can't go to an advertiser and say that um, I have certified statistics from OP3. That don't work. And OP3 is definitely anti-IEB, which it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But if I go to an advertiser and tell them that my stats are from OP3, there's going to be more questions asked. So it just doesn't work. 
uh, from. Yeah, but I'm not sure that's that's the position that um, that's being taken out there as the advertising. Well, he says, Adam says, OP3 is all open, code and stats. I put all my shows up there for advertising. It is a real path forward from Adam himself. For advertising, it is not a path forward. If I have a, if I have a podcaster that is only on OP3, I can't sell his shows. Well, it's, it feels like it's a question more about transparency or non-transparency is really the, the, the question that we're being challenged. Oh, the, the podcaster has a choice whether or not he wants his stats to be public or not. Right. It's a transparency question. Yeah. It's not an advertising Why, why do I need to be transparent with my competition? I don't have to be. I only have to be transparent to those that are writing me a check. From a commercial standpoint, I don't have to be transparent to anyone for show download numbers. Why would I be? Why would I have to be? Again, I take the old school route on this is that my numbers are my business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you want to have your stats be transparent in public, great. OP3 Mm -hmm. is awake for you. No problem. But I bet you if you took a survey of 100 podcasters, 95 of them would say, I don't want my stats shown. So what's the advantage of someone having public disclosure of well their i think there, i think there's a huge numbers. i think there's a huge risk what's it, the it, risk the risk is if you're doing advertising and you have two numbers and they're not the same then what is the question that's going to be asked of you by your advertiser okay. oh yeah, a, we see over here that you got 20 that's a reasonable concern you got right. twenty two thousand downloads showing iab but you i mean on op3 but you build me twenty six thousand on iab and then your response is, well, they're not IEB certified. And any numbers could be opposite too. It could be flipped. I've done my own tests. I have some preliminary yeah. in- data, which I won't yeah. go into. But again, it goes back to what. So you have t- tested the IEB numbers against the OP3? Is that what you're saying? I would just say I have. I, I, I would just say I have data. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Well, I mean, I mean, it's either different or it's it's the same. definitely different. Okay. And yeah, I like and I like I like what John's doing over there. I like, you know, John's a great guy. He's brilliant. Don't get me wrong, John Spurlock. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a mm-hmm. he, but at the same time, um, there is. Well, we consider the stuff we do with our stats to be proprietary you know, our secret sauce. That's really, you know, and it's not that secret, but again, there's stuff that we do that others don't. And then was one of the reasons why we had no drop in Apple podcast numbers. So the Twitter stream on this topic from James Cridlin, um, included links to other shows like ours that are covering the podcast space, like yeah. the Buzzsprout, um, Buzzcast and the the Pod News Weekly Review podcast and the podcast 2.0. Uh, you know, you could click on those links in my in my Twitter stream and and be able to see all the stats from all those shows. And it's what's interesting to see in those stats is that the the audience level for pretty much all three of those shows is almost identical as far as weekly downloads. So 
it's around I think fifteen to seventeen hundred, I think is the number. Well, it means you got the same people listening to the same show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I just thought it was really interesting to see that. So, like the Pod News Weekly Review says, downloads in the last seven days is fourteen hundred and sixty-three. Right. right, and downloads in the last thirty days is forty-six eighteen. Um, and and it has a bunch of stats on where people are listening, what countries, um, Europe, top browsers and refers and stuff. So, I mean, a lot of the same stuff. Yeah, a lot of the same stuff. So, I guess the question is, is that you know, I think for us to really make an evaluation on this is to compare the numbers well, um, and, and see if the IAB is comparable to this or, or not. I know that there are a lot of podcast hosts that are probably, you know, looking at their, their budgets, right. And maybe, maybe are op- more open now to considering not getting certified. You again. know, Adam just, uh, just came in with a boost of 5,000. He says, it's a path, not an answer yet. I is a trap and a ride to the bottom. Enjoy the ride. Well, here's the thing. Until 30 companies, or how many of the number is, right? basically use can consider using OP3 as a standard, it's a non-starter. You know, the, the battle we had and then, and this mm-hmm. is what has to be understood. The battle we had was the huge discrepancy in numbers. Most yeah, of it propagated right. by a couple of companies that were just counting by sixes. Well, and, Todd, I mean, you, you, you've always said that you don't really care what the number is. I don't care what the number is. Yes. As long as everyone agrees that it's right. It's based on a principle that will give you that's right a a ver- a fairly verifiable number. I that's mean, right. there's always going to be some fluctuations in the numbers. Yeah. Um, probably depends on the bots. It depends on your profile of your distribution. Sure, and, sure. Profile distribution has the profile distribution right. has the biggest right. spread. You know what? What platforms are you getting yep. your your downloads from or your yep. plays from? Yeah. And I think that the industry has wanted to have, and th- this is also another little bit of an undertow around this too, is is having numbers that um are more transparent. Now my my blowback on that, I mean, I went through this a little bit with Spreaker when I was working at Spreaker, and maybe we talked about this a little bit last week, is that they were doing the same thing that YouTube was doing. They were displaying right. what the play numbers were for all the podcasts sure. that were hosted on Spreaker when I started working there. And then I also convinced Francesco over there to make it an option, right? Um, give the creator the option to turn off public stats or right. to leave it on. And it was their option to actually make that choice because some shows, uh, you know, I think if you really think about it from a practical perspective is that shows that are just getting started are probably less wanting to right. display the right. numbers than yeah. ones that are established or ones that have been around a while that the podcaster feels confident that sharing those numbers isn't going to embarrass them. Yeah. Right. That's, or that's compromise yeah. their, their audience growth because, you know, I think we see this on YouTube too, is that this audience confirmation happens around being able to see the numbers, right? Yeah. So yeah. shows that get more numbers, uh, 
shown on the page typically get more viewers yep. because there's more confidence that yep. it's good content. Right. right. I, I think in the end, the, the thing I have to protect as a company owner is right. the reputation of the data. So that, well, and the, the doing what the creator wants too, because that's true. Uh, this is, this should be an optional thing. It shouldn't be required. I can and probably I'm, count on one hand, the number of requests in the past five years we've had for podcasters yeah. to turn on their data public. Now, now, they have a way now right. they can do that through our, um, through our media kit and our media kit well, up, updates their numbers every 24 hours, but we provide them a private link that right. that's not public, that they can share that with media buyers. Yeah. And this, this op3.dev uh, project is, is based on a prefix, right. um, which means that it's, you, you have to embed a redirect yeah. is what I gather yeah. is how yeah. this will work. And I think you've proven through research in the past that redirects are not always. Oh, you're, you're leaving five to 13% of downloads on the table. So right, because I, it just doesn't capture yeah, it can't. the data because the transaction yeah. can either happen too well, fast or too slow. Well, let me no, It's not that it's about the it's qualifier. Not. It's about qualifying okay. the download. And again, the only way you can qualify, really build a model. And again, it goes back to a model. I, I get a whole bunch of stuff. I see everything yeah, that server that comes to through. server um, I, I, transfer of information is where it breaks down. Well, it? No, I, I, I have a full collection. I know the IP. I know the user agent. I have all that data. Right. And in an instant, it passes through. But the challenge becomes when you need to qualify that to make sure that was valid or not. And then because of the nature of a redirect, there's no hosted log data. You know, you know, it's basically a redirect ping, ping. Oh, that's a one. Well, was it a one? And you, what we had to do was take hosted data, hosted log data, along with the redirect data, marry those up and see where the, where the deltas were, where the deltas were at. And then from that Delta applied a model to the redirect to basically reduce because if I counted every redirect, the numbers um, would be way beyond what the download numbers were. So I had mm -hmm. to apply a model based on hosted data logs. And that mm -hmm. model has to, I validate that model every 30 days. And it has to be tweaked a little bit in order to make sure that technically we have to throw out a lot of stuff. And that's why the stats will be five to typically 5 to 13% less then a hosted log file will be. So I would encourage um, um, the folks over, uh, John over at OP3 to start grabbing and get some, get Adams and get uh, pod newses and get all their raw log files and then do AB comparisons on running those log files and you'll see where the delta is. And there is a, there is, there will be a delta. Um, because you can never get enough qualifying information from the redirect. That's why you have to throw so much of the redirect stuff out. Um, it's just the way it is. And again, I overqualify downloads too. So I go beyond the IB spec and always have, and quite frankly, 
because we, when we went through that initial battle, and Rob, I don't know if you were in those meetings or not. I think you were. I mean, some of them were in the early yeah. days. Yeah. And you can, you know, some of that, you know, that what was tried to be shoved through. Oh my God. You know, Angelo at the time was about losing his damn mind. Yeah. And, you know, he, you know, I, 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 he wasn't one to cuss too much, but, you know, I heard a few tirades with him being upset because his essential, his essential premises was that they're trying to cheat because my, my, well, there was a lot of that going on back then. Right. In my, in my, um, my instructions to him day one, when we started building raw voice, blueberry stats was, I don't care what the number is. As long as I would know what the number is, get rid log files are okay. So just telling you, uh, log files are the, our ground truth. Adam just sent another 5,000 sats. He says log files are for beeps. So, um, but log files are ground truth to what has happened with delivery of that data. And especially if you've got your CDN set up to be able to see all the data. And that's another thing too, is depending how your CDN reports the download and what's in the log file, we had extra flags turned on and still do to this day, extra stuff turned on so that we could see the chunks of data being served and everything else to be able to recreate the download. And then what's that really for? You know, that's really to get us into within a two or 3% range to be able to report to an advertiser. Now with a redirect, you're going to have no problem. You're going to be five to 13% under no matter what. So you'll be, you'll be under reporting anyway, if you're doing it for advertising, the key is if. I think that's an important point to make here that is, I think being lost in the conversation. Um, and, and it's getting, you know, I hate to say, but you know, some transparency within the industry of how, you know, what methodology is being used to generate even the OP3 numbers. Um, and well, it's open source, so you can go look at it. (laughs) Right. So, and so, I mean, if that's happening, then that's terrific. Well, I'm not, and I'm not saying the question is, is it, are we on a redirect basis or on a prefix basis? Are we ever going to be able to achieve the kind of reliable numbers that we have currently with the IEB never, system? Never, never. And the only reason my, and again, when we first did our first IV certification, the redirect wasn't certified on the first round. It was too hard. And then we spent a lot of time, we spent two years trying to figure out, okay, how can I validate this? to get it right. And that's where we came up with our model method. And I don't know what PodTrack did. I don't know what other chartable and others have done. I'm assuming they've had to do the same thing. Again, I don't know uh, how they got their, how they got their redirect certified. Cause I was pretty shocked when PodTrack initially got their redirect certified because we didn't have our certified. I'm like, how can you do that? Cause there's just, you know, lack of data. There's just was too many holes. So we knew that the raw data was no, cause I had hosted log and I had, this is where the difference is. I had both. I had, and I still collect redirect data today, redirect data. And I have two sets and two sets of numbers. The hosted log files is what get processed for the hosting customers. And then those are just using stats. We use the redirect logs, but again, then they're run through the run through the model and mm-hmm. 
in the end, they get they get a number. Um, and I have the a, I can do an A B switch within our admin, like for my show. I still run the redirect, but I'm hosted, so I can go and look at both sets of numbers. And every show is different. Again, it all depends on the makeup of how many Apple podcasts, how many third party apps, how many people are doing a web browser. There's this there's this conglomeration of a formula. Mm-hmm. It really depends on because there's no one case fits all. Now, if your audience and my audience were exactly the same, with exactly the same makeup, the spread should be the same. Right. Yeah, between raw log. Uh, okay, if you if you back up and you look at this from let's say a sixty thousand foot view, what do you see? And and I'll speculate on this too, but I'm a little bit um, unclear about what the goals are of doing this and why, why it. it's important to, to disclose numbers. I mean, oh, what, I think it what plays the, into the, to the justification that YouTube has had, right? Well, what, Around the goals numbers of, being public. Here's right. the, here's the goal of the OP3, double fingers to IEB. That's the, that's the goal. And you had, you have folks that do not like. Yeah, but is it really that, or is it just, uh, this, I think it's this, part of it. This this kind of mindless pursuit of transparency. I think it's fifty percent. They don't people don't like the IEB, and that's understandable. It's expensive to be to maintain yeah, a but membership. But they're never going to replace the IEB with this because no, they'll never. This replace is a it. prefix standard, right? This is a prefix me- methodology. But you can get a prefix qualified under IEB. Well, you can, yeah. right? But it's not the primary. It's it's not like the OP3 is going to be adopted by Blueberry or Lipson as their primary metric no, standard. No, no, no. I mean, no. is I, and I that's guess. the question. Is that the goal here is to achieve that? Well, I'm sure they want everyone to use OP3. But they don't know what they're asking for from a, you know, you start doing 300 to 400 million downloads a month. And that. You know, like I say, my EWS bill, I have, there's no more credit card can handle that. It's a bank transfer. <laughs> but Todd, it feels like this OP3 project is something separate from that. It's oh, not, it is. It's a, you know, and again, it's not, I, it's not something, I mean, it's, it's reason for existence is in my view is more of like this ideology around transparency. Well, I think that's probably 50% of it. Okay. Well okay. then they're not telling us the other half. Well, of you know, it's. It's to me, it's implied because certain, okay. pa- certain parties, James doesn't like the IEB. Well, then they should just come out and say that then that the, what the goal of this organization is, is to create an open, well, they've podcast said that metrics, they've said standard, that. actual, uh, an actual standard, not a, a guidelines, which the IEB has put out there that, but who um, sets, the, who sets of, the standard, John? You know, well, I think we're closer as an industry to coming up with a standard than we were back when the IEB guidelines was established. Well, just remember that the IEB is not a standard. It's, it's a, it's a a guide. It's a guideline. (laughs) Right. Right. But should we be as an industry moving towards a standard, not a guideline? You know, I, I think at this point, I think Adam's. Adam just sent us another boost. 20 years of podcasting and we're still arguing about downloads, D4B forever. 
Well, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, and okay, so. Well, and we're under a threat right now because a lot of people want to want to get rid of the download metric entirely. Right. I mean, yeah, they want to get rid of, it, rid of it completely. That was a topic on the media roundtable with um, yeah. Stephen Goldstein and, and Dan Granger just last week. Yeah. Is, it, is it time for us to move on and beyond the download, right? Which takes us into the realm, well, how's this media being delivered? It's being delivered as a stream, right? And if that's a stream, then that plays into a different kind of media delivery. So, so if that's if it, if we move to the stream, God help us, then you completely, and maybe it's in 2023, maybe it's not an issue no more. Maybe enough people have connectivity, but they don't live where I live. And where there is no connectivity in places, shocking and yes that's probably 50 or 60 percent of the united states landmass, but probably one percent of the people that occupy it because you know everyone is centered around metropolitan areas and have great internet well todd if 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 elon musk gets his way um well starlink is going to make internet access ubiquitous well it already has it fixed my issue at home right but it doesn't it doesn't fix the situation when i drive out of my driveway and for seven miles there's no signal well it could right well they could yeah if he connects it to i think it could change it for sure i think elon was quoted in saying that if he needs to make a mobile phone he would yeah he could but again i don't think it's arguing about downloads and again only a here's the thing too that's all, all things aside, I do an IV certification and it's probably spent upwards of $20,000 a year for my membership and my recertification for about three or 4% of my user base. Cause the rest of them don't give a crap, mm-hmm. but it's that three or 4% that are my high end users that need good reporting to go back to their advertisers and say, Hey, you know, this month I got 82,000 downloads. So right. who, who am I? You know, I'm, I'm a realist here. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that um, all all three of these podcasts that they sent links to, um, and I've seen the numbers for even um, Lipson's podcast, the feed, and I don't think any of the the podcast topic shows are are much over. Um, so Lipson's actually used an OP three. No, 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 no. I've, I've seen their number oh, in the past. Okay. But, um, my, our, yeah. our show at Blueberry, the podcast insider show is yeah, maybe, maybe tops 2000. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's kind of what I was going to say. I haven't seen any yeah. of these shows that are bigger than yeah. 2000. Um, yeah. The company show, I, I you know, that would, week. Yeah. Now granted their weekly shows. Right. Now, the Pod News Daily show has had eleven thousand in the last seven days. That's that's good numbers, um, but that's five days a week. Yeah, right? but that's so, still still good numbers. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you yeah. split that number in well, in half, right? Um, I mean, if it's a seven day a week show, if you split that up over seven, or actually, it's probably five episodes. So it'd be about two thousand a day, right? Or two thousand a week, oh yeah, per episode. But I also yeah. have a fiduciary duty to my company mm-hmm. to make sure that we're serving our customers 
in what I feel is their best interest. We, right. they, we've made it available so that any Blueberry customer using PowerPress or our dashboard can opt into OP3. They can use it. No problem. We haven't stopped anybody. Yeah, it's a prefix. It's a prefix. It's, it's they just can, a prefix. Yeah, right. They're free to use it, but it doesn't right. mean I have to endorse it. I have an OP3 section in our podcast 2.0 introduction. It's not a negative in there. I explain what it is. And, um, but again, I want to make sure that, because I've been, so, you know, my perspective is just a little bit tainted in that. I've been involved in audits, other companies' audits, other, right? And audit their numbers, which end up being very. You've been the bearer of bad news. But, uh, not only <laughs> the bearer of bad news, but if I had, if they could have shot me dead, they would have filled me with nine millimeter holes in their office, literally. <laughs> I've had companies give their double finger to me, saying, "No, you cannot have our data for audit." And the advertiser says, yes, you will, or we will cut you off. Wow. Now, do you think that makes me the most popular person in the room? No. no. Ex especially when the, when the results of that audit requires that company to write a big smoke and large check back to the media buyer. All right. And that was one of the, and why? Why? Because I had a trusted system. We took this attitude and we don't care what the number is as long as we know what the number is. Never overhyped data. I don't have to report my download numbers to GoDaddy, my sponsorship. They've never asked me ever for a download report. All they care about is conversions. It's all they care about. Mm -hmm. And in the end, that's their metric for this show, for my show my tech show and uh they just matter of fact they just made some changes to my deals that are not necessarily i feel was a good move so i do have a concern about what's going to happen with them going forward so i'm gonna have to work double hard to make my numbers with with them but at the same time you know it's been a pretty long run since 2005 so i can't complain so yeah. the value for value model you know, is definitely one that, but I've also, I've had to split hairs because I've always had an advertiser, never been faced with not having an advertiser. So what mm -hmm. happens if I, let's say they pull the plug, then what is, what am I left with? V for V, you know, or go out and find another advertiser for the show, which should not be an issue. But again, do I make that transition at that point? Um, it would take a lot of work to replace that income with V for V. It would be a, a lot of work. Um, but maybe the audience would support it, you know, because they know now there's not a sponsor. There's no um, AKA, um, you know, they don't, they know I'm going to make my, my budget every month. They know I'm going to keep the lights on, keep the insurance paid, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I might have to downsize. May not have to have this beautiful office I have anymore. Might have to work from home, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that's life, right? Yeah, it's it's not such a bad outcome working from home. No, <laughs> you know, except but, 
again, Starlink is my only option and streaming a show on Starlink is not necessarily proven to be the best choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it does have some occasional cutouts uh, from what I'm So maybe, maybe no more live. Maybe I have to go to just recording a show, you know, and, and putting it out, but you know, yeah, it's always a potential as well. 5150 sats from Matt. Enjoying the show. I'm glad you are, Matt. And by the way, yes, we are lit live with those great, new, beautiful apps from podcastapps.com. You can get in on the action and be part of this boosting, too. I don't know why we can't hear the boost coming in. Do I have something? Oh, I think I know what's going on. We should be able to hear the, the boost come from now on. So, But, you know, I, again, I, I can't talk enough authoritative on it, but this whole thing of incorporating YouTube videos in a podcasting app, I'm just, it just makes my skin crawl a little bit. I mean, I think it makes sense for some creators that want to want to do it. I mean, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to do it. I just, um, if that's what their chosen distribution method is for video, I mean, it would be, I think it would and be they, best and to they don't have to pay for band- those together. They right? don't have to pay for bandwidth. Um, right. But let's, that's the reason podcasts are over there already, uh, or, or video shows are over there already is because it was too expensive to host video on a podcast platform. Well, we have but, customers doing it and they don't. Oh come, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, but again, yeah. you know, they, we always caution you know, full disclosure, I always caution shows they're starting to do video because I'm like, listen, you get real popular, you know, yeah. your, your, your per gigabyte cost uh, can add up pretty quick. Yeah. And, and you got to keep your, probably your video files fairly compressed if you want to. Yeah. You, you know, you only, cost com- down. it only can compress them so far. Right. Before sti- you start eroding yeah, quality. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no question. Well, Todd, there's been, and I think maybe we covered it a little bit last, last week, but the, there's definitely some FUD. I, if you don't know what the term FUD means, it's fear, uncertainty, and no. doubt did you about s- the podcasting space. Did you see All Twit? Right. What happened over yeah, there? I saw that whole thing with Twit, yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what's interesting to me about this and again, thank goodness my business is not solely driven by advertising revenue. It's, it's a component. It's a set and forget component for us, luckily, uh, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and I do have some, maybe early next year, we're going to have something cool to announce in regards to uh, programmatic and uh, transcripts. That's all I'm going to say. I'll let you do yeah, your I heard- own. I also heard somebody say here on uh, online that they think that programmatic advertising is, is dying or yeah. it's dead or something yeah, like that. Up. I've heard that, that comment too. It's up. CPMs are maintaining. So, but CPMs yeah. definitely is a longevity play because CPMs start out lower when you're new and then raised over time. It's kind of weird how mm-hmm. it works. This is what we've seen. As you prove yourself. Right. Yeah. But there is definitely there's there's some people that are definitely concerned. Yeah, I keep hearing, you know, even James Cridlin says, um, you know, even with the news about Spotify and and you know, and now Twit 
you know, are is in trouble. Well, I don't know that it's safe to say that everybody is in trouble that's in the podcasting space. I, I think that there's just been a, you know, an economic impact here. Well, there's declining, been a, that's causing people to get laid off, but that that's not the end of the medium. There's, a, there's an economic impact to advertising. Right. And, and if you built your whole business right. on advertising, you're going yeah, to have an impact. That's right. right. Yep. And that's, that's what a lot of, uh, especially podcast hosting companies shifted over the last two years into really embracing advertising. And they invested a lot of money in it. They invested a lot of effort into the advertising side. And I always thought that, you know, that was going to be pretty vulnerable to economic uh, of conditions. Of course. And, and it was the story, the, problem. the story of raw voice blueberry. When we started, we are a hundred percent media company with a stats right. measurement system. Right. And thank God, I, you know, I, I was living the, and breathing this stuff 20 hours a day. Literally. I was, I wasn't sleeping for, yeah. for years and I was on this. Right. And we were yeah. small. We only had one employee that was actually full-time getting paid. We were subleasing an office. The cash flow was good, but I kept seeing all of a sudden, about the time Corolla came on the scene with his podcast, mm -hmm. I started watching the advertising dollars. My budgets were getting smaller and smaller on a quarterly basis, and his was getting bigger, and the bigger shows were getting the bigger, bigger, the bigger spread of the money. And I basically said, oh, we are in trouble. We are a one trick pony. We are going, we are, we are going to go the way of the dinosaur if we don't diversify. So, yeah. so that was the time we started the journey of monetizing stats, starting hosting. You know, this is why we were, you know, we are six years behind Libsyn. We were, we were a long ways behind Libsyn. Right. And, you know, the question I got asked by some of the folks over there at that time, well, why are you becoming a hosting company? I said, because the advertising is going down. And we didn't right. have, we were older. We weren't Hollywood. We weren't New York. You know, I remember the first time we went to New York to talk to ad buyers. And I went into an office. This gal brought me in. I did the whole, as a matter of fact, I think Adam and his team had been there the week before and bought them something super nice because. The, the gal told me, well, I had brought him macadamia chocolate nuts. And I guess the team, whoever was in there a week before, had brought him iPods. So, you know, okay, <laughs> you know, pay to play type of thing. You know, my mac chocolate macadamia nuts didn't go too far. And I had a, I think it was a Macy's suit. And, you know, it was a stretch. It was a stretch for us for me to go to Hawaii, to New York, and do the, do the circuit, mm -hmm. right? And I remember being walked out of the office and the, the, the gal that was the, in charge of the agency, she grabbed my, sh my suit jacket, pinched it right about my shoulder level. Yeah. And she says, don't ever come in here. And she called it a JCPenney suit. Don't ever come in here and present to my team again with a JCPenney suit. <laughs> and I thought, yeah. I thought, oh, man. So. What did I do? You know, I spent the big bucks, went to Brooks Brothers, bought a nice suit, still in, still in my closet. Mm -hmm. And when I went to New York, Brooks Brothers, when I was on the West Coast, it was a polo shirt. You know, they didn't care. And right. 
to me, it was like we're at that time, we're fighting the same stupid battle that seems to be going on today. Explain your numbers. Explain your numbers. You know, they're not validated. They're not, you know, we don't have any, you, know, you couldn't, they were used to having all this information even back then. They're used to having the client side data. And of course, we didn't have the client side data. We still don't have the client side data. Right. So therein lies the, the, the issue. Well, what happened to you, Rob? Oh, I'm, I'm just popped up a, a, a tweet that Sam Sethi made. And just wanted to kind of. Oh, it's absolutely true. The systemic problem with podcast advertising is not a measure of this. This has been known since the beginning of time. This is nothing new. A download right. is not a listen unless you measure time. Listen, but here's the thing, Sam. There is a way. There mm -hmm. is a formula that you can use to be able to determine if someone's actually listening to a podcast over time. Right. But you need about three months worth of data, consistent data, month to month, to be able to see what size of an audience is, whether or not the show is still continuing to be automatically downloaded. It's not mm -hmm. perfect, but it's a system we've used for 18, 19 years. And mm -hmm. I can get the numbers damn close. And I don't go yeah, in. That's the bigger takeaway here is I, I think making a statement that podcast advertising, it's not measurable or accountable. That's wrong. Is probably not, not, not entirely that's accurate. That's false. Right. The systematic I think it has been all the, all the advertisers wouldn't have come in and, and, and supported podcasting. But, but guess, but guess it's what? It's really not, I mean, really at the end of the day, it's not really about measurement or accountability to the advertiser. What's really important to the advertisers is ROI. Right? No, what, and here's the thing. This is yeah. where, well, this is why we built the retention graph. I can tell. Right. Okay. See, this, this is this, that statement to me is just like, uh, sorry, Sam, you, you need to start talking to some companies and seeing how we're actually doing this. So mm -hmm. let me give the example. We have the ability. Okay. So if someone is, followed or subscribed to a podcast and they are actively listening. That download happens as immediately as soon as that RSS hits the street. Right. It's going to happen. That's going to be 70, 75%. And now as years go on, it's less. So it gives my data even better data. 60%, right. 65% that's downloaded in that first 12, 18 hours, whatever it may be. Retention data. If you have the right CDN, and if you have the right constraint set, you can see on certain apps when they hit play and the data is chunked out. Some apps, when you hit play, it just bleh, it gives it to you all. So it looks like a download. But on some apps, you can see where they quit, where the thing rolls off. Right. Yeah. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a small portion mm -hmm. of the active plays that I get to see that data. And we're talking seven, right. maybe eight percent of of the yeah, total, through like the Apple right um, podcast stuff, right? Well, and again, depends on the app. And I'm not going to talk about that. Do your own research, and the right. and I can see where people, how long they're listening, where they drop off, and mm -hmm. then taking into account. Okay, let's say they have Apple Podcast, which the majority of shows do, at least fifty percent. 
and we follow the rules as published by Apple Podcasts to know that after three, five, whatever the number of episodes is, they'll quit automatically downloading the show. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have intelligence brought into your stats where you can see all of a sudden, oh, we just had 10 downloads of catch-up. Does that mean that all 10 of those episodes are going to be listened to? Probably not. But we can tell when someone has hit the button again and said, hey, mm -hmm. give me all these downloads that I missed. Do they go back and listen? No. But again, if you watch over a long enough period, if you, if you average the amount of downloads, plays, retention mm -hmm. data over a long enough period, and Mike, I mean, uh, you still have the screen up in, just in yeah. case you, you forgot. Well, if no, you, I was going to talk about the next thing okay. um, on here where Lou talks about um, how, how programmatic advertising is dead and why there is a, a flight to quality content. It's not Which, true. It's absolutely yeah. not true. Well, well, what's your definition of quality content? You know, that's always kind of a red herring to me yeah. that you're, you're assuming your view of what quality content right. is. You're not really taking into account what audiences think is quality content. So, and it may be different than your view. If you look at a long enough period of a show and I built into our campaign advertising management system, CAMS, mm -hmm. I can look at a show. I can take how many ever episodes I set the, let's say I set to four months and I just do a simple math equation, take all the downloads, add them up, divide by the number of episodes. And I get a pretty close average. Mm -hmm. Let's say that show's doing 5,000 downloads, plays per episode. When I do a, when I do an advertising campaign, I put that show down for 5,000 per episode for that campaign. If they deliver 4,800, I bill for 4,800. If they bill for 5,200, I bill for 5,200. But what happens is, is because we've looked at a long and big enough spread of time for a show, we have a pretty good feeling of where it's going to land. And of course, the media buyer is going to come back. And if performance isn't where it needs to be, I'm not so concerned about going look, looking at the listens and plays. I go look at the content. How is the, con how is the run done? Does the audience actually match? That's why we have all of our podcasters do a listener survey. So I have stats. I have listener demographic data mm -hmm. and tied it all together. I have this trifecta of information that gives me a pretty good idea what a show is capable of doing. Is it perfect? Nope. Don't claim it to be perfect. But as long as we meet performance, that's all that matters. It's all that matters. If the advertiser come back, so you, you hit my CPA, I'm going to pay you CPM, but as long as you hit my CPA, we're happy. Or they come back and say, hey, we're, under, we're underperforming. Give me a make good. I've never, ever, ever, ever in 19 years given a make good. I deny them. I say, no. They just didn't resonate. It's not my fault. We did all. So when someone says what he says, it's technically true. But those of us have been in space long enough we know the history of shows. We look at the data and we're able to make educated decisions on, okay, it, 
does that show really appear to have 5,000 listeners listening every episode? Mm-hmm. And if the numbers are all over the place, well, that average is going to be lower anyway. Right. Right. And that's all I guarantee. And I do think that we, uh, as an industry, um, have been progressively moving towards this model, like what's been in radio for many years. And that's radio thought of themselves, really their customers were their advertisers. Right. And so they were going to do everything that the advertisers told them to do because then they felt like that was going to unlock more budget for them. Right. So there was a monetary connection between catering to everything that the advertiser wants uh, versus catering to everything that the audience or the content creator wants or is willing to do. So you have this kind of negotiation that's been going on. And this is a, this was a little bit of a thread that happened between uh, um, myself and Heather Osgood, because she made this comment about um, transparency in the podcasting advertising market. Right. And, and my comment to her was as well, um, the advertisers want the podcasters to have ultimate transparency on everything, right? But they're not willing to have any oh. transparency back around performance. Well, it, right? I'm going to be honest with you. They, <laughs> I can count on one hand the number of times that the advertisers come back and told me the exact performance what, what is working and what isn't working so they're for the advertising industry to hold to force the the podcasting industry to make all these accommodations they have to be willing to make some accommodations on their side but they don't want to because that's going to put them in a position where they're they could be asked for higher cpms and another thing right? too is oh man man oh man this opens up some history Oh, well, it opens a Pandora's box that many people that look at one side of this issue yeah. of transparency on the content creator right. side and not hold the advertisers accountable. And that's one of the, the challenges. Here. Nine out of 10 times I'll ask an advertiser, what is your, let's say you spend 50 grand. Mm-hmm. What do you consider success on this campaign? And you spell $50,000. And again, right. again, a lot of this has been direct response. Mm-hmm. And then we yeah. see now more lift campaigns, of course, but let's just talk about direct response. We'll leave the lift campaigns out. What is your measurement of success? And you know, 90% of the time they would never tell me. They would never tell me if we get, if we get 200 activations, we're happy on a $50,000 spend. They would never tell me that. Citrix go to meeting made the mistake of telling me one time what our performance was and how we were beating man. I took that to the bank. So right. This goes way back it before. Oh, someone's gonna have to go back. And, I, and if these numbers are off by 50, $60, then, you know, don't sue me, but it's, I published it's somewhere in my archive somewhere, but at the time print was getting them, they were, they would have to spend, uh, they, like $230 or something like that to get a Citrix to meeting customer via mm-hmm. a print ad. Print, right. television, radio. I was delivering customers at $27. Right. So okay. if they spent $1,000, 
which they weren't. They were spending a half million to a million dollars a quarter. Mm-hmm. I was delivering them customers at 27. And, you know, they got pretty greedy with that. To the point where the performance was so high, the media buyer was getting such huge bonuses, they had to re-engage with another media buyer because Citrix was had a performance clause that they had to pay the media buyers out this massive, they were making more money than we were, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And they changed media buyers, they changed the tactics so that they really killed, I mean, we were, it was, Rob, it was a money printing machine. It was, it was amazing. I mean, it was freaking amazing. And that's the only time that I was actually told, this is what you're delivering me customers for compared to X. I would love, I would love to hear from anybody else that's actually gotten a real number from a, from a marketer on what the response is. So we were delivering nine, 10 times better performance than print and radio, man. We went to town with that, right? That was right in our deck and it got and us. That's to- not what they, they, they want. They want to take advantage of this medium, get as much ROI as they can and not have to be accountable that's, for massive that's, windfalls. That's right. From, right. So, you know, in my opinion, you don't get companies spending a million, two million, three million dollars a quarter, and they're not seeing massive success. These folks, these folks aren't stupid, right? right? And but yet, who ends up getting screwed? The creator. It's the content creator always. Gets always. Screwed. It's just like the farmer <laughs> yeah. growing produce always gets screwed by the grocery. Always store, gets right? screwed, right? Right. It's it, it it's the same <laughs> thing. It's the it's it's the one with the money is the one that so, usually so let's has the power. let's flip this now all right and i know adam and the rest are like stop well there's two sides of this argument and so so, yeah. so now all right everyone's heard what we've said this is we've talked about this on the show before this is no, no oh, new yeah. this is no new this territory is, for us for years actually what yeah. the, what the new territory is all right, let's say you're a small show and you're getting let's say let's say you're making 250 a month on advertising. These 10,000 downloads. You're making $250. Or let's say you have 1,000 listeners and you would only make $25 on CPM. Mm-hmm. Going the value for value route and doing it correctly. And asking for a donation for, again, time, talent, or treasure. Mm-hmm. Giving value, and I know everybody hates the word donation, giving value back or value given. If you focus on that, small shows will do much better over the long term than they'll ever make from advertising dollars, ever. If they really focus on that. Now, a show that's got 100000 well, they could probably convert it, but it's hard to take yourself away from the nipple. You know, because if you're getting $25,000 a month for a single advertising deal, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to pull yourself away mm-hmm. from from the booby. Because right. it's not hard. Right. But if advertising dollars are going away, There is a way. Yeah, there's an alternative, right? Okay. All podcasting 2.0 people, raise your fist. Come on. I just gave you the thing. So 
Well, and Todd, there's a reason why the podcast industry somewhat to some degree has capped out at $2 billion. Exactly. Is it, um, I know exactly why is it, is it because of our transparency? Is it because the download is not a good metric? Is it, I mean, what is the, the, the rationale? This is all catering to what the advertisers want. I have, which is right. Which is a gatekeeper to their control over, um, um, the CPMs that also controls their, their ROI. Why haven't we gone beyond 2 billion? I'm going to say three words. I know it's it's media buyers. Maybe it's four words. Media buyers are lazy. They don't, they're not willing to take risks to monetize the 40% of the podcasters at the top that want to be monetized. They, they would rather run 10 ads and some top level program and cause everyone to go 30 seconds advance on their phone to skip the ads or use the new app that's going to bypass the ads. They would rather do that than work and say, okay, Todd, uh, put, put 500 shows on an ad buy or a thousand. They won't, mm-hmm. they won't. Mm-hmm. And there really isn't any reason why they shouldn't. It's, They're lazy. It's, it's just, it, yeah. it's, it's also ego. All right. So can you imagine they, someone, some 22 year old that's in charge of account goes yeah. into his boss and said, Here's the 500 shows we're going to run on a campaign. And right. the boss and looks at the list and he says, Oh, I know the first three. Right. Who the, who the hell heard of the other ones? Who the hell right. are these folks? Take them right. off. Right. And transparency of numbers through this OP3 is not going to magically solve it. It won't fix that at all. Right. You know, they so, you know, it could contribute to advertisers getting access to data, but most of these advertisers are buying off of buying platforms that have access to the data. So, so it's, you know, the reason we're never going to get beyond 2 billion and probably going down is because right now it is is because media buyers don't want to dig in the pool. So I, this is why any podcaster that's listening to this podcast if you have 10,000 or fewer listeners, you better be all in on value for value. Yeah. Unless you have your own deal where you're promoting your own product or service. And again, and we understand that 50% of you could care less to make any money to begin with, which is fine too. Right. And oftentimes people that complain about this um, on, on the advertising stuff don't really understand how the advertising stuff works anyway. Um, so, and what's, what's driving these, these decisions on the part of the podcaster and the, the ad agency, and then the, the actual brand, what the dynamic is between all those and how, um, un, really unfair to the content creator it typically is. Um, and we're not focused on that because we're always focused right. on trying to right. cater to, you know, placating these, these ad buyers that well, are. It, that are playing us. It goes back to what I said more than a year ago. Right. All right. If you want to, if podcasters really want to control their destiny and right. be able to potentially evoke some dollars out of someone, get a coalition together and leave Spotify. Leave. 
take a hundred thousand shows off Spotify tomorrow. All of you disconnect. That may not do anything, but it definitely would be newsworthy. Creators always get screwed. Right. And I know people keep raising this issue around Spotify. It's like, well, do we want podcasters to get treated like the music artists? No, they don't. On, they don't even want to give. Know, I know. They don't even want to give. <laughs> go, go ahead, Todd. They don't even. Okay. So on the podcasting 2.0 show, Adam and Dave were talking about uh, an artist that disclosed their royalty check from Spotify. It was like $78 for the year, right? And the show was in a um, in Adam's Boostagram ball, and the number of boosts that they got in one episode was like four times the amount of money they made in a single year from Spotify. Spotify does not care about creators, and this is what podcasters and anyone that creates content needs to wake the hell up. YouTube doesn't care about you either. They are going to run ads against your content for people that aren't paying. They're going to run ads that you'll never know what was run. And you may have a disagreement with the ad that was run against your content. You'll never know. You will never know. Yeah. And they don't care about you. They care about controlling your content and keeping eyeballs on their platform. That's all they care about. Yeah. And until people wake up and understand this. I think most content creators understand that's the relationship that they have. It's just, uh, it's hard to translate that into some sort of proactive action that would be more beneficial to them, given the, the power that these platforms have over creators. Um, I might be wants to, be popular and make a million bucks on, on, on YouTube. And that's what drives us. It's the same thing that's been going on in podcasting for yeah. a long time. It's the, it's the appeal of, um, popularity, right? It's the appeal of stardom. It's yeah. the appeal of, it's like, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you, sh- you don't need to get paid by the platform because what, what the platform is giving to you is peanuts is fame and, and maybe. Oh fortune. yeah. Maybe, very right, few are getting fortune. fortune. Yeah. Right. And not everyone can be a, what is his name? Mr. Bean or whatever his name is. I don't, I don't know. What Mr. It, Beast. Mr. Right. Beast. Yeah. No one, very few people. And Mr. Beast has about 80 people working for him. So, you know, he's yeah. got his own headaches. So. But if you watch, the, the, there is a documentary on YouTube about how Mr. Beast got started. And it's very interesting because it, it, it talks about a, kind of like a very grassroots beginning for him. I mean, he started out as like a 14-year-old creating stupid videos on YouTube, right? And and grew into this power creator that was basically build his whole platform on this concept of of giving back to others, mm. right? Whether it be money, whether it be food, whether it be anything and helping other people. So he would actually just throw money at people on his show, uh, or give them food or he would, he would basically, he, he did a whole episode about going in and buying all of the food in a grocery store 
and cleaning all the shelves out of this grocery store and taking it to a food bank. No way. That's, that's how he built his popularity was based on that kind of stuff. You know, uh, we, we'll work, he for, would, we'll work for food here. We'll take uh, Ruth Chris gift certificates right. and, right. uh, his first video that turned viral was him walking out to a homeless man that had a sign up, right? Begging for, for two bucks ever. And Mr. Beast gave this, this homeless person an envelope full of $10,000. And this homeless guy just like loved all over him. And, and Mr. Beast had a big smile on his face. And, and so that's what, that's really where which is really fascinating if you think about it. It's it's getting back to, you know, this very human connection. Adam just makes a great comment. Five thousand sats and another boostgram. I would love for someone, anyone, to show me the two billion in podcasting. I can't get past five hundred million. <laughs> you know what? Hmm. You know the well. That's actually a very good point, Adam. Uh, it is. It, I don't know that there is any, I mean, if you really think about it, most of these numbers are estimates Well, because there's no consolidation of reporting. Well, someone has that number. I'll tell you who has it. Really? Anyone that's an IAB member has to submit their advertising sales report. Oh, IAB would have it, right? But not everybody is a member of IAB though. Well, the majority of hosting companies are maybe not production companies. So we'd have to look at that. Spotify's not, a, I don't think, as a member. Right. But there would, be, there, would be a, there would be a consolidated report. But I mean, it would give you a ballpark, but it's and that, probably and, likely and not that's, two, and, and two if billion. They, and if they don't lie, because the more money you've made, the well, higher your renewal fee is. Right. They're actually <laughs> probably going to underestimate it, probably. Right. You know, that's why they're switching next year. You have to actually report revenue. Yeah, part your revenue as far as your membership. So, no, well, that I mean, how is that verifiable anyway? I don't know. Send in tax returns or something? <laughs> I don't know. Our tax returns usually are like six months late because we never get them in on time. Um, yeah, I you know it, you you have something there, you know, because I've often there, there was some times I did some I did some spreadsheet work and. Uh -huh. I mean, because oftentimes these numbers that, that we hear about the advertising market are survey data. FM. Right. You know what FM is? Beeping oh, magic. Yeah. Be beep magic. Freaking magic. Right. <laughs> I think there's another word, but I'm not going to use it. Right. Right. <laughs> so, you know, 500 million. Probably between five and one, uh, you know. Right. And why is there such a big discrepancy between radio and podcasting on that? Because radio is local. All, all radio advertising here is local. Very rarely do I, you know, when I rarely turn into commercial radio, it's about the car dealership on the street. Oh, these little radio stations <laughs> are making enough money to keep their staff employed. So, you know, they're, they're probably running a million, two million per, per station, little tiny stations. And there's, there's less metrics on right. radio than yeah. there is about podcasting. There's no metrics. So it's, you know, it's like this, 
It's always been this funny thing about yeah. this we're contrast. We're held to higher standard. Right. It's like we're thought of as like a like a sponsored link ad yeah. on Google <laughs> versus radio, which kind of gives this wide berth of of survey data. I mean, I've I think I've mentioned on the show before, but I I did one of those diaries for Nielsen. Yeah, me too. Point. Got your three bucks. Yeah, I, my, I think it was two. I think that, yeah, two, it was inflationary two, 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 two reduction. Right. So, so and, I, um, tell you what, tell you what we're going to do. It's t- we'll use the new media show email address. I know, right. I know a lot of you are listening that are out there in podcast earning money's land. You'll never admit it, but we, we see uh, where, you know, people from New York and in California are two of our, you know, LA, biggest, right. uh, biggest listening regions. Uh, get yourself a fake Gmail account. Now, someone, you, you're going to risk a little something here. Um, but Todd at newmediashow.com and get yourself a fake Gmail account or even a Proton account, something where, you know, where we can't track you and send this anonymous email with, uh, with a company name and a number. And, uh, I won't, we won't announce the, the companies, uh, by name. We'll add everything up and come up with a number. Now don't lie to boost the numbers because one of you knuckleheads will send me a billion dollars for a certain company and you'll have lied and we'll exclude that. Don't lie. Tell us what your real annual advertising numbers are. And, uh, or Rob, you can sense, you know, you maybe it better go to Rob and uh, Rob can anonymize the data. That way you're not sending this to me. Um, and, and Rob can anonymize the data and, uh, and, and give us, give us, uh, give us a total. Uh, I think that would be fun to do. Uh, mm-hmm. but you know, I think, you know, there's a certain amount of trust here. <laughs> yeah. Send them to Rob. Cause you know, right. Rob doesn't work for nobody right now. <laughs> send them to me. Right. 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 Send yeah. them to you, you know? Right. But, uh, I know it's, people are going to be too scared to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we wouldn't reveal it though, but we do like our secret sources. We don't. We don't have I think too that many. The numbers would be. I think they're quite a bit lower than two billion. I believe right? so too. I think they're much lower. There's a reason why it's it's never gotten much over two billion in like the four years that they made yeah. proclamations yeah. that it was going to. Right. It's, but if you listen to certain shows, though, you know they're definitely putting seven to ten ads in these episodes and i'm sure they're just amazingly effective well that's the other end of the spectrum right is that the big shows are just getting either completely bought out yeah or that they have too many ads in the yeah, shows well, too many that's what's driving this this also this metric in the research that's showing that there's increasing sensitivity on the part of listeners to ad load but at the same time it's going to drive and matter of fact i didn't get a chance i had hardcore meetings all day did anybody listen to sounds profitable's thing today did well you, did they were doing that? it at the same time that we're doing this oh show. okay well we'll have to go back and that'll be a good one for next week right there's probably some there probably be some slides out on the internet at this point but um yeah i two billion i i i Again, I, 
most of my business is service business. I'm thank God I I'm not reliant on advertising. I wish you know I wish my advertising was a little higher, just like anything else when you're trying to drive more revenue. But I'm pretty happy with our programmatic where it's at now. And mm-hmm. contrary to what everyone's saying, I have not seen a race to the bottom yet. So because this programmatic stuff is running in content that would you know, basically you'll never hear on a, as a host endorsed. It just never is going to make it into host endorsed. And I think that the commenting about advertising and podcasting is, I think we should all kind of back up and get a, get a view on this. That's realistic because we've been playing this advertising game and podcasting for, I don't know how many years now, Todd, <laughs> 19, you know, and <laughs> if it, if it's constantly stalling out and it's not progressing, all this kind of stuff, maybe it's just not really meant to be as big as everybody would well, like it to be. There we go. Value for value, baby. Right. So there <laughs> needs to be an alternative. And I've had this, this thought myself for many years is that there needs to be something else, right? You can't, it just doesn't, well, it's well, not a natural it's, it's, fit well, advertising with podcasting. It there's just, not a lot of like, options. It's kind of like oil and water trying to blend them together. It, it, it's, it's ideology is completely contrary to each other. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all about now it's, you know, I've run a PayPal on my website since, since I started mm-hmm. the show. So, yeah. you know, it, it brings in some dollars, but it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't pay the bills. You know? So I think this, this value for value kind of model, you know, it, it could be the model the the foundation and the early kind of foundation for something new in podcasting that can be different. Rob, uh, come on now. You, you haven't obviously been listening to no agenda recently or any of those. Well, that's not my, my, my point here. My, my point is, is that that is an emerging model Yeah, that um, could replace advertising in this medium and, or augmented or, be in a, in addition and it will continue. I don't think it's widespread yet. I think it's still early days for value for value. I think Um, what it is, is making, you know, the education piece on this is. Yeah. It's daunting. Yeah. It's daunting. Um, I think the, I, I, and that's, what's holding it back. Don't get me wrong. You know, I love the boosts that come in, but at the same time, you know, I think that the majority of people, even though the processing fees suck, you know, are used to doing fiat donations with uh, PayPal or credit card or something like that. And I think, you know, it's it's a dual head model. If you have both capabilities to get fiat funds, and fiat again is dollars or pesos or yen or yeah. you know right. some national currency, conventional. Uh, Currency. Yeah. Um, a combination of that and a combination of value for value in strictly in regards to Satoshi's, you know, I, Dave Hamilton and I had a discussion a couple of, maybe it's been two months ago. And we, we talked about this quite a bit in a call and, uh, Dave and I, you know, I, I love the value for value program with boosts and stuff like that. The engagement is, is fantastic. You know, look what we've happened here in the show today. You know, Adam's been giving us feedback. Matt's been giving us feedback. We got feedback from the last show. Um, 
that makes it engaging and that the engagement's worth more than the value of the sats that have come in. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't run the numbers at Blueberry recently. I need to do so and go back and see how much people have earned up to date um, from 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 don't from basically from boost and streaming sats. But if we convert enough of the listening audience to a modern podcast app and we get them to start, I, I can, as I've said to my tech audience at Geek News Central, if every one of them gave me just $2 a month, just two, well, 50% of them gave me $2 a month, uh, Rob, holy shit, I would, I would be, I'd be able to hire five people. Just two bucks. Yeah. Doesn't take much. I agree. But again. On a, on a per listener basis. And add it, up to a lot if you have a decent sized audience. And again, it's about, and, and Adam just hit us again, another 5,000 sats. The V for V only works if you create content of value. That's not a big group compared to spray and pray programmatic advertising. That's true. Programmatic advertising is definitely spray and pray. We know that. Yeah. But if I can, if podcasters are making more from spray and pray, then they are convincing their audience to give back in value. But the thing is, we have to train a generation of podcasters that don't be afraid to ask for this value back. Time, talent, treasure. Well, and, and I don't know if you've noticed, Todd, but the Bitcoin value has been going up. Oh, yeah. My, I was actually looking at my, uh, I, I've doubled, I think, in my, my sat holdings right now are about about double, which is going to make it interesting for this tax year. Yeah. <laughs> well, you don't have to pay on un- unrealized gains quite yet. So no, you still have to report it, and then because Bitcoin prices like this every day, then you have to export a port. And you know, it's it. I heard someone talk. I think I heard Adam and Dave talking about it last year, but I'm definitely going to have to report it this year. There's no way I'm not going to get on the wrong side of uncle sugar. I've been, been there, done that. I'm not doing that again. Well, I know that there's a, there's an effort on the part of the Biden administration to actually push forth this wealth tax, which includes a, um, unrealized gains tax. Yeah. They're always trying to dip their hands in our pockets. Well, it's like, you know, if you have a $200,000 of equity in your home, you would have to pay capital gains tax on, on that equity, whether or not you have the money or not. And I think that doesn't matter if you, that's not even talking about, uh, inheriting something we're talking about. Yeah. They need to, they need to quash that stuff. Everyone. It's just will, a way, it's just a way, f- way for the government to just get more revenue into their, And then they think that they're accomplishing, you know, some equality kind of, well, there's only two things ideology. guaranteed in life, death and taxes. Those are only two things that are guaranteed in, in life. Yeah. But I think, again, going back to the value for value thing, you have to give value back. And I think part, and I, I talked about this with podcasters I talk to all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, especially when they're like, oh, I've only got a thousand listeners. And I'll bring up a Google image of a thousand people. And I say, that's the audience that you're talking to. And, you know, I, I say, print that out and 
put that somewhere where you can see it when you're doing a show. And then you, when you realize how many people you're actually reaching, you may have a little bit different approach to prepping for your show and the quality mm-hmm. of content that you put out because a oh, hundred, a thousand, 10,000. If you don't visualize 10,000 listeners and can see what that looks like, mm-hmm. you know, think, think about, Rob, if you and I were to walk on a stage in front of 15,000 people, I guarantee you, you and I will have spent a couple hours being prepared at a minimum before mm-hmm. we went out and talked to 15,000 people. Yep. What, what do we do during this show? We just drop the mic on and go. <laughs> so. Hope for the best. You know, right. yeah, spray and pray, right? So right. I, I think that is the, that's the thing podcasters have to really understand too, is in order to make value for value work, you, you have to, you have to make a great show. And probably yeah. if you make a great show, your audience is probably going to grow. Yeah. And opportunities will open up. I don't, I think a lot of times people think this is just going to be magic and it's just going to happen. Yeah. It's hard work. Yeah, I would agree. And some of us are glutton enough to do the hard work. You know what? We're already over, dude. I know we are. Holy cow. Where'd the time go? It went. Well, what have you got to say about this show? Are you asking me? No, I'm asking the audience. Oh, okay. And if you haven't been here, all this stuff, is in the archive that we've talked about today. This is not something we haven't talked about 25 times at least. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, Mike Dell sent me, um, let's see if I can find it. There's a company called 11 Labs. Have yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with them. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you'll hear this. Let's see if we can hear this. Peter Piper, pick the pick up. Oh, wait a minute. Let me turn the volume down so you can hear. It's a voice cloning platform. Yeah, you want to hear my voice that's been cloned? Mike did a little sample. Let's see if I, can you hear this? Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. Do you hear that? Sounds sounds pretty close. Sounds pretty close. Now listen to the other one he created. Let me turn the volume up a little bit. I think we need to give Mike $100,000. Sounds pretty close to my voice, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. The audio Peter Piper picked, doesn't seem to be that good, though. No. The pack of pickled peppers. But Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. It's almost like you're talking into a condenser microphone that you're too close on. Yeah. But I think we need to give Mike $100,000. That is better than what I would have expected. And he only gave it a small sample to train from. Yeah, they're they're training these off of uh I, I think it's like fifteen seconds to thirty seconds of audio, right? Yeah. All right, geeknews at gmail.com, geeknews at gmail.com at geeknews on X at geeknews at geeknews.chat on Mastodon. Okay. I'm on Twitter, X at Rob Greenley, and you can reach me via email 
robgreenly at gmail.com is a great way. And you can go to my website, robgreenly.com. And that's like a launching off point for articles and all the other podcasts that I'm involved in, in doing every week. I'm doing about three live shows a week right now. So someone must've sent out the bat signal because we've had quite a people come on to the company that shall be not named a live stream. Uh, we had quite a boost. They must've said that Todd and Rob were trying to talk something about the industry. So someone set out the bat signal, but if you've been watching on one of those new modern podcast apps, we appreciate, appreciate it. If you've been streaming sats, we definitely appreciate it. And, uh, it's been our pleasure. We'll be back here next Wednesday for another edition of the new media show. Everyone take care, be safe out there. And, uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, comments are open. Our secret lifeline is open to report earnings on uh, advertising. Let's see if we can figure out how much money's really coming into the podcasting space. Um, right. If we get any yeah. emails, I'll be shocked. So, yeah. all right, everyone. See you next time. Take care. Thanks for okay. being here. Bye-bye. All right.